What up, guys? This is JP from The Chase Down. I'm here with my co-host, Ben. Welcome back, everybody. And today we're just going to run over what's been happening in the playoffs so far. Uh, the last time we spoke to you guys, it was, I think, just the first games of each series. Um, so we've had some revelations since then, um, some pretty shocking news. So we're going to hop into the Suns-Lakers series first. And I think the main talking point of this series has got to be Chris Paul's shoulder. Oh, yeah. Um, my, I, I was actually going to start with Anthony Davis, but I'll start with Chris Paul. Um, the fact that he hasn't been able to play a full game for the Suns is devastating. Um, they really need him. I mean, offensively, he is such a big part of their team. He just controls their offense so well. He's so good at limiting turnovers. Um, and he can score in the mid-range pretty much at will. But with that shoulder hurting him, he just – he looks really, really in pain out there. Um, and without him being completely healthy, there really isn't any way I see the Suns winning these games, uh, which is awful because I just – I want to see Chris Paul healthy in the playoffs. It sucks that every single time he's on a good, promising team, as soon as it matters, he gets hurt. Um, but, yeah, I mean, seven points yesterday, five rebounds, six assists. It's an okay game, but if you watched him, you could tell he was hurting. Uh, he got only played 27 minutes, really didn't use him in clutch time. I mean, it wasn't a lot of clutch time because they lost by, what, 14. But it's it's just – it sucks to see him not be able to play. I'm totally with you. It's just he he is a winning player who never wins. And it's, like, such a sad reality to his career. I mean, those Clipper days, right? Like, some of those teams that were really headed towards success. Maybe, like, Blake gets hurt, and then they suck in the series. Or, like, maybe he gets hurt, and then they can't win. And then we've seen it in the Houston days. And now with the Suns, it's just, like, these injuries just follow him around in the playoffs. And it sucks, too, because – the last two years in the regular season, he has played like 80 plus percent of all games uh, available. So he's showing that he can be durable throughout the regular season, which he struggled with before. But now the injury in the playoff comes to haunt him. I do think this is kind of like a freak injury. Like the way he got it wasn't just because like, oh, he twisted. Some, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, I just he can't get away from it. And I think. I think I might have been wrong about my prediction if he was fully healthy because the Suns somewhat keep these games close. And the way DeAndre Ayton, Ayton's playing, which we'll get into a little bit later, is if Chris Paul was healthy on this team, I think this would be a really well-fought series. Yeah, I agree. I still think uh, that he's got a bit of time. He seems to be improving every single game. Um, hopefully, if the, the Suns really need to win the next game for them to really have any chance with the rest of this series. Um, but I do – I want to talk about Anthony Davis because after the game one, I kind of said some foolish things uh, about how he was kind of kind of disappear for this series. We've talked about before that Anthony Davis, for as good a player as he is, has a tendency to disappear yeah. uh, from time to time, and he definitely did in game one. The last two games, he's taken 35 free throws. Um, he's just lived at the line. I think he's averaged 32 a game the past two games yeah. I think your prediction was he was going to average 30 um, it basically seems like every single time he gets somebody on him that isn't DeAndre Ayton he scores or goes to the free throw line yep um, 
he hasn't needed i thought he was going to kind of start to live towards the mid-range and towards the outside of the the towards the perimeter but he just hasn't needed to he's just dominated in the paint um and even when they switch him to a five and he does have deandre Ayton on him he's got incredible footwork um so even he's not making all the shots but he's going to the line 35 free throws as someone who doesn't want the lakers to succeed it's frustrating to watch but he is just he's unstoppable yeah i i'm pretty proud of this prediction um, <laughs> I, I said in the last podcast that he'd average 30 and 10 the rest of the way and i think he's on pace to doing that uh like like i said in the prior podcast like it doesn't matter who's in front of him he is just one of those players that he can get 30 and 10 whenever he feels like it. The issue with Anthony Davis is sometimes he doesn't feel like it. Exactly. I think after that game one where he's just atrocious, I said it was the worst game of his career. I think I stand by that. He has just been, he looks like a top five player right now. Just the way he is defensively plus the way he gets to the free throw line. He's similar to Joel Embiid in the sense that you want to foul big guys usually, but because he shoots it so well from the line, it's almost like counterintuitive to foul him. Um, it's just he's dominating the series. I'm I'm in super impressed with the way he's playing. Yeah, I mean, coming into the series, we expected him to do this. Uh, game one was kind of a shocker. The fact that he was kind of just invisible game one. I, I don't know what was going on in his head, but I really thought that that was going to continue. I do also want to say an underrated part of the Lakers' success so far has been Dennis Schroeder. Um, he has been, he's so quick, his ability to get by bigs every time he's got a switch on him and score inside. He's got such crafty finishing moves. I uh, had 20 yesterday. I think he's averaging 20 on the series. Um, the rest of the Lakers bench has been pretty weak. Like yeah. just nobody individually has shown up, but Dennis Schroeder has been keeping the, the rest of the team afloat. He's been doing his absolute best. Yeah, and you're totally right about the bench, too. Like, they really haven't shown up offensively. We know what they can do as a defensive team. Like, they're still the number one defense in the league, and that's because of guys like Kyle Kuzma and just, like, people they can throw in on defense to try really hard for their minutes. Um, but Schroeder, like you said, like, he's been a really good offensive outlet for them. Um, he's not a great shooter, but because he's so quick, like you said, he can get to the cup with some crafty finishes at the rim, and it's it's working out for him in this series. I mean, when we think about who's on the Phoenix Suns, no one really pops up to my mind about a good point guard defender. Other, I mean, Chris Paul's hurt, right? So you got Devin Booker trying, you got campaign trying. Like, these aren't guys that are probably going to be able to stay in front of Dennis Schroeder. So I think this is a surprise, but a welcome surprise for Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, I mean, most of Phoenix's guards are offensively minded. You're right. They don't have any really strong defensive guards. Uh, Campaign has been doing great offensively. He's been doing as much as you can ask for, but he just doesn't have those kind of defensive instincts. No. Um, I'm, is, do you think there's any chance that the Suns win any games for the rest of the series with Chris Paul being injured? No, not a chance. So just... disappointing. Yeah, it, I mean, like, the thing that it really come, boils down to is the Lakers are just suffocating on defense when they feel like it. Uh, we saw for the first time Devin Booker look horrible. Um, six for 19, below 33% from the floor. Um, you're just not going to get that from other teams in the NBA. Like, Devin Booker is going to get his, like, 20 points almost every single night on good efficiency. 
but the Lakers have the unique ability to just slow down elite scorers, and they're showing right now. They can suffocate one dude on their yes. team. That's the worst part about Chris Paul being out, is if yeah. there was another guard out there that Booker could kick it to, the Lakers wouldn't be able to do as much damage to Booker as they've been doing. But, yeah, yesterday was a really tough showing for him. Um, the flagrant foul he had towards the end of the game was pretty stupid. Um, he just seemed frustrated. He was, like, just taking it out on the other team because he was frustrated that his shots weren't falling. I have to talk about DeAndre Ayton, though. Please um, do. DeAndre, so, he's only missed eight shots in the whole series. Um, and he's averaging 20 and 10. And this is exactly who I thought I was going to see coming into the regular season. You can go all the way back to our preseason podcast and our picks for most improved player. I sat here at this desk banging the table for him averaging 22 and 12 throughout the entire season. And we're seeing right now that he was one worth the number one overall pick. I know Luca's incredible and I know they should have taken Luca, but you're not going to cry about it. If you have Deandre Aiden, I think if they had Luca, they'd probably be a championship contender, but at least they didn't bust, right? They got DeAndre Ayton, who looks like a top five center to me right now. Like, I was on my walk this morning, and I was thinking about it. You got Jokic 1 and Bede 2. You got Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. Those are probably the top four. Is DeAndre Ayton similar to Bam Adebayo right now? I mean, we're seeing what Bam's doing in the Bucks series, which we'll get to after this, but he's not doing much. Like, right now, DeAndre Ayton looks incredible. He's scoring at will in the paint. He's a great rebounder, and his defense has shocked the hell out of me. I know Anthony Davis is pretty much cooking anyone who's in the paint, but like I said, Anthony Davis could be argued as a top-five player. He is deterring shots in the paint all the way through the games. I'm just – I'm super impressed with him. Yeah, he really – month to month, I feel like every year he's been in the league, he improves. Um, his defensive IQ was not great last season – there was flashes. You could see him staying in front of some quicker guys, getting some good blocks. Uh, and you could tell there was potential there, but he's really showing it in these playoffs. But yeah, his, his efficiency is unreal. The amount of points he's scoring in the paint is really, really good to see. He's only taken three free throws. So a lot of these aren't like banging through people in the post. He's just got really, really good touch and he knows when to shoot it and when to kick it out. Um, he doesn't force his offense, and that's kind of why his efficiency has been so great. Um, this, You're right. I kind of expected this in the regular season. I hope we see this next year from him mm. because when he's locked in like this and when they're really using him, he does. You're right. He looks like he could be top five, uh, a top five center in the NBA. Yeah, and I just think the next evolution to his game is saying is doing what you were saying, is getting to the free throw line a little bit more. Um, like you said, he has incredible touch for a guy that size around the rim. We see just like hook shots and floaters being put in at like an insane rate by him. But the way you become a superstar or even a star in this league is forcing teams to foul you and then making them pay at the free throw line getting the other team in foul trouble. It just helps your entire team. It makes your team more aggressive. And I think he has the potential to do that. I mean, the, if you guys look at this man on the court, he is so much bigger than everyone else. It's insane. He could pound through anyone in the block. Um, that's just the next evolution to his game. Just getting to the free throw line a little bit more, but the signs he's showing are great for this Phoenix team in the future. I mean, he looks like a certified, like, soon-to-be star 
Absolutely, yeah. I think you were right earlier that he deserved that number one pick. I know Luka is incredible. I don't think the Phoenix Suns are going to regret taking a hometown kid like DeAndre Ayton with the number one pick um, when it's all said and done. I think he'll have a great career for them. Um, but yeah, you're right. He does need to be more aggressive. His aggressiveness was awful at the start of the season. He just wouldn't show it at all. He could show it on defense. He could show it getting rebounds, setting screens. But just when he's got the ball in his hands, he isn't incredibly aggressive in the post. Um, and there were moments in the regular season where Chris Paul, you could really see him drilling into DeAndre Ayton that, like, you are bigger than everybody else. Get in the post and destroy people. Yeah. Um, and he's got the finesse and the touch to be able to hit free throws. Yeah. So if he can add that to his game, that's another six, seven points he could be getting a game. Um I really think in a couple of years, he could be consistently one of the best centers in the NBA. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, we're seeing – so maybe he won't have the same offensive impact as like a guy like Carl Anthony Towns who can just shoot like 40% from three. No one in the league at that size has done that. But could he be a 22-12 and 12 guy for the next 10 years of his career? I absolutely think so. I mean, I do think so too. Um, so let's go to the next series, Bucks Heat. Um, I, I'm going to start with this one. I have been blown away by the Bucks' performance in this. Um, I mean, both of us chose the Bucks in five, but I didn't think the win margins would be what they are in these games. I mean, they are plus 63 on the series. That first game came down to a buzzer beater, and then since then they've won by 30 in the last two. Um, Giannis... It, it it speaks to how great this team is when Giannis doesn't even have to score 20 and they win by 30 points. I mean, they are so deep down the roster. Bobby Portis has been playing really well. Pat Connaughton is a good role player. Brent Forbes has been lighting it up from three. Drew Holiday, his plus minus numbers this series are like actually sickening. Uh, he was plus 41 last night. I mean, they can't be stopped. They're just unbelievable right now. Yeah, so Drew Holiday, I think, is the biggest difference maker between this Bucks team compared to last year. Yeah. Um, he's a plus 81 over the first three games. That's unreal. Plus 41 yesterday is like one of the highest plus minuses in a playoff game ever. Yeah. Um, his offense is amazing. The fact that he's been getting his teammates involved and he's got crazy assist numbers has been great. Uh, but I think their defense has really been what's most impressive. Um, there were a couple of open shots that Miami missed yesterday, but their Miami's defense is, or Milwaukee's defense is just suffocating. Watching Giannis guard Jimmy Butler and just destroy any attempt he makes to get into the paint um, is just awesome to watch as someone who really wanted the Bucks to succeed. Uh, Giannis has been incredible these playoffs. He's averaging over two steals a game so far, 25 points on pretty good efficiency. Uh, the free throws have to get a little better, but I mean, they don't in this series. It doesn't really matter how many free throws he hits in this series because the Bucks just outmatch the Heat so, so much. And the, the question I kind of have is where do the Miami Heat go from here? Um, they kind of made the decision to just take this team and run it back after their finals run. They didn't re-sign Jay Crowder because they wanted to save cap space in case Giannis came back. Yeah. Um, and that's looking like a mistake. They went out and got Oladipo, and now he's not going to be able to play in these playoffs, and he's going to be a free agent. Uh, what, what, what do they do from here? 
So I think that Jay Crowder move was very important to why this team is looking the way it is right now. Um, Jay Crowder, we see how many minutes he plays in the Phoenix series uh, for the number two seed in the West, and he's an important player for that team. And they went and got Trevor Ariza to supplement his minutes. I mean, that is a serious downgrade. I think Trevor Ariza is probably a year away from retiring. I'm, I, he's a fine player, but just the age he's at is just – he's so advanced age. It's not similar impacts. And then you got Andre Iguodala, who's another year older, doesn't really make a huge impact anymore. Um, it's just this team's getting old. Tyler Hero's not what he was in the bubble. Duncan Robinson's fine, but – like he can't do everything. And then this is one of the biggest things I've noticed throughout this series. Bam, you can leave him open whenever you feel like it. He is one of the worst shooters I've seen. Like I was stunned last night. I was watching it. Rook Lopez is just actually standing under the basket while, while Bam has an open free throw elbow jumper just like wide open, no one within five feet of him. And he just clanked it that same shot at least four to five times a game. And I was thinking like, if he could even somewhat consistently hit that jumper, this game's a little bit closer, but they're losing by 30 because he can't even supplement some offense other than pick and rolls or passing out of the post. It, it just shocked. Like I knew Bam was more of a pick and roll big that I always knew that, but to see how badly he was struggling from just like, more than 10 feet outside the hoop, I was shocked. There were some early conversations this year about him potentially being uh, somewhere in the rankings of most improved player because of his, his growth at the start of the year. And I think when I watched them, I saw him hitting mid-range shots. I saw him taking free throw line jumpers. I saw him taking just like face-up, spot-up jumpers from a little bit outside the paint. Um, it, it almost looks like a confidence thing for me. With him and Tyler Hero, especially. Uh, Tyler Hero, in the playoffs last year in the bubble, played with more confidence than I have ever seen a player play with, yep. uh, especially a rookie. He mm -hmm. just, in his mind, every single shot he took was going in. Um, and he, he isn't playing with the same kind of confidence at all. He's shooting 28% from the field right now, mm -hmm. from the field, which is yep. terrible. 33% from three. Um, they're down 3-0, so there isn't really anything they can do. I think this is going to be a sweep. I really expected this game three, Jimmy Butler, to just put the team on his back, get 40 points, and get a win. Um, we saw him do it against the Lakers. We saw him get a 40-point triple-double in the finals against the Lakers. He started off the first half really hot and then just couldn't do anything in the second half. It just The margins just kept getting wider and wider and wider, and – after game one, I haven't really seen a competitive quarter from the Miami Heat. Every single quarter, the Bucks have taken a huge lead and they've just maintained it throughout the game. Yeah, it's just the nature of their defense. The second they get a lead, they're, they're protecting it. They're going to stop you from scoring and stop you from trying to make it close. It's just this, these two teams are so unmatched. Like it is so unbalanced, the talent on one team. And you were talking about the Milwaukee Bucks defense. It goes deeper than just that starting lineup with Drew Holiday. I mean, like PJ Tucker's coming off the bench and playing great defensive minutes. Brooke Lopez. I mean, like some people think his defensive numbers are like a sham because he, he always plays with Giannis, but 
I, the impact he's made in this series is absolutely obvious. It's just from, from start to finish, that lineup can play defense, and we're seeing what it can, how it can affect teams right now. Yeah, and I've never really – I've kind of been one of those people who thought Brooke Lopez's defense is a little overrated. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is everybody on the Bucks is just playing with a lot of energy. Yeah. Even if they're not incredible individual defenders, they're contesting every shot. Bryn Forbes, who yeah. I've never thought of as a plus defender, oh. chases every three. He makes every single shot he can difficult. Uh, Bobby Portis has been great. Um, you're right. Yeah, everybody's just the energy the Bucks are bringing and just the impact. I really think that they've shown a lot more than people were really expecting in these playoffs. Yeah, and I think they got the, like, piano off their back by beating them, Miami, in that game one. Um, I think if they lose that game, we hear storylines about, like, Giannis can't do it in the fourth and blah, blah, blah. But to just beat that team, it felt like a confidence boost because the next game they come out win by 30, and then the next game they come out and win by 30. Like, this will be a sweep. Um, I don't think Milwaukee takes a game. I mean, the Heat take a game. I'm, I'm probably going to change my pick till Milwaukee in four. Yeah, same here. Um, I, I haven't seen anything from Miami that would make me think that they could win a game. Yeah, no. no they've shown no life. No heart, nothing. Um, yeah. it, they, I think they just, at halftime, they look at the score and they realize there's nothing they can do to come back, and they kind of play like it. Yeah. It, it's, it's unfortunate, but I'm, I'm very happy for Bucks fans right now because the turmoil they've had to go through the last couple of years, it's like, it looks like it's finally starting to look upwards for this team and just their playoff performances. So yeah, this has to feel really good as a fan, Um, but let's move to the series. I know you want to talk about, and that's Clippers Mavs. Um, You had the Clippers in five. Yeah. Obviously that can't happen anymore because Dallas is up two zero. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm really worried about the Clippers here. I'm, I, I'm worried about their heart. I'm worried about whether or not they can do anything to slow down Luca um tim hardaway jr too is getting a bag this offseason he's getting a big contract and he deserves it he's been showing out um is there any answer do you think that the clippers have for the mavs um firing ty Lu, i think would be step one i think playing serge Ibaka more than six minutes would be step two i think putting terrence Mont. Terrence Mann into the starting lineup would be step three. I think putting Luke Kennard in the rotation would be step four. Like, I am baffled at the coaching from Ty Lu. Like, baffled. I mean, I know I've given him credit all throughout the year, and you were kind of questioning him throughout the year. You are absolutely right. Um, I don't think he's a good coach. Um, I just I think he gets to coach really, really good players, so it makes him look good. Uh, obviously, he coached LeBron. LeBron is the coach on every team he's on. He can bounce things off the coach, but he's making the final decision. I don't care what any coach says. Um, and it just seems like Ty Lue literally doesn't know what he's doing. Um, players, like, <laughs> the players he's starting, Marcus Morris, is known to be one of the worst playoff performance performers in the league, right? So he's starting him. Pat Bev does nothing on offense, and his one calling card is defense, and Luca's making him look like a small baby. It's just like, what is Ty Lue doing? 
Terrence Mann got 20 plus minutes for the last six weeks of the season and showed insane growth. And really, he was an energy guy. He hit the, like he drove to the paint hard and he threw teams off because the Clippers are such a great three point shooting team that when he would just explode to the hoop, teams didn't really know what to do with him. Okay, so now he's getting DNPs the first game, and then you put him in for the last 15 minutes of the second game. He doesn't play a single minute until the last 15 minutes of the game, and then you play him every single minute. Ty Lue is horrible as a coach, one. Two, I think this is what the Clippers should do. I think they should trade Paul George in the offseason, and I think Kawhi Leonard should get the hell out of there. I think this organization is just cursed. I, I really don't know what to say otherwise. And I'll talk, I want to talk about Tim Hardaway Jr. because you brought him up. He is averaging 25 points per game in these two games. He is shooting above 50% from three. Above 50% from three, and he's averaging 25 points per game. He, he's playing like an MVP candidate. And it's Tim Hardaway Jr., like, these, these players on the maps are walking into the most wide-open threes I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like, I could go out there and score 12 points against the Clippers right now. And it's just like, the defensive personnel on this team, you'd think there would be some, like, some sort of lockdown effort. And I, you, you know I have to talk about Kawhi. Kawhi scored 41 points. He scored 30 points in the first half, 11 from then on. The only reason that game was even close was because of Kawhi Leonard. And then you have Marcus Morris going three for nine, missing every single three he took. And Tim Hardaway Jr. just balling out. Kristaps Porzingis balling out. Avika Zubac might be the worst defender in the entire league. Mm -hmm. It's just like, there's no, and I was thinking about it. Sorry, I know I'm ranting, but I was thinking about it. Like, after Kawhi and Paul George, who's a good player on that team? Um, right now, nobody. But like, like going. Nick Batum into had a pretty good season. Rondo, you think you can rely on, but I mean, there's no real quality stars outside of Kawhi and Paul George. The fact you just named Nick Batum. He's had a sick season. His redemption no. arc this year has been amazing compared to what he was in Charlotte. That's the that's the thing. Compared to what it was, it's a great season. Like, just in a vacuum, did Nick, is Nick Batum a good player? The answer is no. And he was the – literally, out of every metric, he was the worst player in the entire league last year. And he's playing closing minutes for this team. Like, think – I, I was just stunned by how bad of a shape they're in this offseason and going forward because they gave away every single pick they possibly have for Paul George. Paul George, I can't even really blame him. I mean, that first half he had in the first game – was awful, but he's playing okay. So I'm not going to like destroy him, but it's what can they do to even improve this team? They can't do anything. No. Yeah. This, this Clippers team is destined for failure. Yeah. Um, I do want to say the point about Teron Lou is absolutely true. And the problem, the biggest problem with this Clippers Mavs series is, in my eyes, Teron Lou is a very bad coach, and Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches. Yeah. Um, they have been, Rick Carlisle has been a step ahead of the Clippers every single time on offense and defense. Uh, I heard Rick Carlisle talking. They were, game one, they were running a lot of set plays, and because Rajon Rondo is an incredibly smart defender and used to be on the Mavs, he knows all their set plays. Yeah. So they just stopped running them. 
and just started running high pick and rolls, started running dribble handoffs, just stopped running set plays, and it scrambled the Clippers. Um, I, I was going to say something about Teron Lou. You really went for a while there, and I kind of lost my train of thought. But their defense has been – the Clippers' defense has been pathetic. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., yeah, his shooting, they are wide open threes. Uh, there's no defender – some of the time, there's no defender within seven feet of them. Um, their defenders, I think the Clippers are, defenders have always been overrated. Pat Beverly has never been a good defender. He's always been a very, very high energy fouling player. Um, he's never been a great one-on-one defender. He's just a pest. Um, and I just, I don't think he's ever really been that good of a defender. And the fact that Luca just gets to pick on him. And if you hear, if you can hear any of the player volume, he's talking trash the entire time. Um, there's like six or seven different audio clips I can find of him just shouting at Pat Beverly that he's too small or that he can't guard him every time he scores on him. Uh, and just, as someone who really doesn't like Pat Beverly, that's great for me to see. Yeah. Um, it's going to be pretty pathetic if Kawhi leaves in the offseason. The Clippers gave up the 2022, 2023, 2024, 25, and 26 picks all completely unprotected. Yeah. to the Oklahoma City Thunder. If Kawhi leaves and they have Paul George, this team is not going to be very good in the regular season, and those picks are going to be awesome for the OKC Thunder for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be kind of sad if Kawhi leaves. I get it. Um, this is not really what he was – I mean, this is what he signed up for, but this is not how good he was expecting the team to be. Um, it's, it's crazy that just nobody on this team has any sort of heart. I think to Ron Liu, maybe you look like a better coach when you're coaching LeBron James because he is just the ultimate leader. To Ron Liu doesn't have any ability to uplift guys. Um, and I think that sucks because there's nobody really on the Clippers who's a leader. But the fact that Luke Kennard, the fact that you paid him, what was it, four years, $16 million a year, um, and he's gotten two DNPs so far, makes absolutely zero sense to me. Serge Ibaka not getting a lot of minutes, absolutely zero sense to me. Um, but even if those guys were playing well, I think Rick Carlisle is still coaching circles around this Clippers team. I agree 100%. Um, like, I think it is a fireable offense to pay someone $16 million a year and then DNP them in the playoffs. Um, we saw throughout the season, like, Luke Kennard's not going to blow you away, but he's just a bucket getter. He's like, a floor spacer. Yeah, yeah. He had 37 points in a game this regular season. Like, you'd think maybe you would want some offensive explosiveness on the court against a team who literally can't defend anyone in the Mavericks. Like, we're talking about the Clippers' defense here. The Mavs haven't defended shit either. They're both horrible defensive teams. It's just we expect the Clippers to be a good defensive team. Um and going back to Ty Lue, I mean, did you hear what he said on the podium the other day? I didn't. He, he went up to the podium and said, yeah, that was a close game. Let's see if the Mavs can keep shooting like that at home. What does that even mean? <laughs> it's easier to shoot in front of your home crowd than it is against the road. I was just like, this dude, I don't, I don't understand how it's gotten this bad. And when it came, when you, like what you said about Kawhi, I just can't believe it's come to this. I mean, the excitement, I, I literally remember the moment I heard he signed with the Clippers. It was July 4th, and 
Paul George got traded the same day. And I literally woke up and I was like jumping in my room because I was hyped. I thought this was like a championship or like absolutely. And to think we're at the point where it's like they're probably about to get swept or lose in five games to the Mavs. And he probably has to make a decision to leave soon. It's just unbelievable. It's just so sad that he wasted two years of his career in L.A. It is. Um, and what's even more sad is the fact that they tanked the last two games of the regular season specifically to put themselves against the Mavs. Um, I think Luka just owns this Clippers team. I think if they were playing, if they were the three seed playing the, the Blazers, it would be a closer series. It might be 1-1 or even 2-0 in favor of the Clippers. It's just Luka just does not fear anybody on the Clippers. Um, he gets, he's been getting whatever he wants every single game he's played against them, even last year. Um, there's just nobody on their team. Even when Kawhi guards him or when they double team him, he'll kick it to an open shooter. Um, that's where Tim Hardaway Jr. has been making all his money. They just – they double-team Luka, and because he's an amazing passer, he finds Tim Hardaway Jr. and he hits threes. Yeah, um, yeah the, the defense that I wanted to shout out, though, the reason I was, like, really impressed with Rick Carlisle is the, the bigs on the pick-and-roll for the Mavs play drop coverage most of the game. So they give Kawhi – anytime there's a pick, they'll give him a mid-range shot to take. And because Kawhi's a mid-range god, he'll hit him pretty much all the time. And that's how we got 41 points. Um, that fourth quarter came and they stopped playing drop coverage and they started doubling him on every pick. And a couple of the times he had to throw the ball away for misses. They gave it to Marcus Morris who couldn't hit a shot. And then he turned the ball over in an important moment late in the game. Um, the fact that they've just been making like quick decisions like that to shake up the, the defense worked really well. Uh, how do you feel? How do you expect the rest of the series to go? I expect Pat Bev to be buried under the basket by Luca every single pick and roll. And I expect Avika Zubac to slip and slide all across the court trying to defend <laughs> Luka Doncic. I mean, a uh, shout out to the mismatch, but they brought up a podcast that I listened to. They brought up some spe second spectrum stat today that like shocked me a bit. Luca has asked for Pat Bev to be switched onto him defending 13 times per game. That is more than Pat Bev has ever been asked to be switched on to guarding someone in his career. And it's just like, it's such a mismatch and it's just, it's just a blow away. It's just a blow away. I expect Kawhi to average 35 and five for the rest of the series. He's just, he's that type of player. He's the top three player still in my mind. Um, I, I just think Luca's just going to rip them a new one though. I think this is a wrap. How many games does this go? I want to say Mavs in four. I really do. I do. I want to say it just because, like, the heart of this Clippers team is non-existent and they have a bozo coaching them. So, actually, yeah, I'm going to say Mavs sweep. I, I would love to see it. Um, the one thing, I'm going to predict this now. I don't want it to happen, but it happens every time Pat Beverly gets down in a series that he tries to hurt the best player. Mm. Um, that's how Russell Westbrook hurt his knee back yep. in the Thunder days. Yep. Pat Beverly dove into his knees as he was calling a timeout. Yeah. Um, him and Marcus Morris just do that. Part of their like pest nature is the fact that they try to hurt people. Yep. Um, and I don't know that Luca's safe. They did it last year. Marcus Morris dove onto his legs on a uh, a ball that went out of bounds last year in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm kind of worried about that happening. Yeah. But if the Mavs are all healthy, I would love to see a sweep.
I think it's realistic. I have just one counterpoint that I saw on Twitter. I don't really believe it, but I just want to see what you thought, think. Um, so in 2019, the Raptors were down 0-2 to the, to the Milwaukee Bucks, and then they won four straight games and kicked them out. And that was with Kawhi leading the team. Do you think this is a realistic thing? Because you can maybe compare Giannis as like a superstar to Luka, or do you think this is, I mean, Luka's just a different beast? The difference there is Kawhi was the best player on the Raptors, but Kyle Lowry led that team. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I don't, there isn't a leader on this Clippers team that I can look to. I think Serge Ibaka does a good job, but he's not the kind of leader that Kyle Lowry is because he just doesn't bring that kind of impact in the game. Right. Um, Serge Ibaka, I don't want to compare him to Jared Dudley because I think that might be a little disrespectful, but I like Jared Dudley's whole job is to like pat people on the back and like give good jobs um, to his players. He doesn't really bring a lot of impact. Serge has some impact, but he's not, there just isn't a leader on this Clippers team that I think can dig them out of the hole that they're in. Yeah. I think the one thing you can actually criticize Kawhi on is he's the type of guy to show up, drop 40, put his sweatpants on after the game and just go home and not speak to anyone. And I just think that's just the reality of the situation in LA. I mean, he's not there to hype up his guys and stuff like that. He's the type of leader where he goes on the court, shows you he's a top three to five player in the league and then leaves. And I mean, we see other players like LeBron, like he's best friends with every teammate he's ever had type of stuff. So yeah, this series, it's whack. Um, super disappointed. Hopefully Kawhi can get out the hell out of there. Uh, but let's move on to the Knicks-Hawks. Uh, me and you freaking love this series. Me and you have been talking about it a bunch over text. And I think it's an obvious starting point to talk about Trey Young. Mm-hmm. Trey Young, like I said in the first game, unbelievable. I'm, I think I'm convinced that he's like a legit player that you can build a team around already. Just the way he's been performing in the playoffs is just incredible. Um, I spoke to you a little, about, a little bit about it before we started the pod. The reason I had some, like, angst and anger towards Trey Young is because everyone was hyping him up during, during his, like, 30-point-per-game series where he got named an all-star starter, even though the team he was on was, like, one of the worst teams in the entire league. And I just didn't understand the hype. I was like, he doesn't impact winning at all. But this year, we're seeing he absolutely does impact winning, and he can make big-time shots and big-time moments. And I also love that he's just turned into a villain. I think the NBA has been missing a villain for a long, long time, and I I think it's great that he's turned into that. Yeah. Uh, LeBron in Miami was, like, one of the most fun villains in the NBA, but one of the most fun that we've had for a while. And I love seeing the when everybody was chanting F.U. Trey Young, and he just looks at the crowd and smiles. Yeah. Um, I love it. I, I completely agree. I also just, the the young talent in the NBA right now is awesome to watch. Uh, Trey Young, Luca, and John Morant, the three of them have been putting on an absolute show in these playoffs so far. Uh, we'll get to Ja, but Trey Young with another 30-point game, seven assists, wasn't able to get the win, but I mean, none of that's on his shoulders. He's been scoring incredibly efficiently. Yeah. Um, I want to shout out Derek Rose on the Knicks, though, because 26 points in 30-something minutes the other day, um, he has had to reinvent his game pretty completely since yeah. his Chicago Bulls days. Yep. Um, he's not a high flyer anymore. He doesn't really use any of his athleticism. He's quick, and he's shifty. 
Um, but his scoring around the rim, the fact that he doesn't have the kind of athleticism that he used to, but he can still score as well as he's been scoring, I'm incredibly impressed by it. I just love to see Derrick Rose succeed. He was really the only reason the Knicks were in the game at one point. I mean, it felt like at one point it was just Derrick Rose versus the Hawks instead of the Knicks versus the Hawks. I think there was like five, six straight possessions in the second quarter where he was the only one taking a shot. Mm -hmm. Um, And he made like four out of six of them. So he kept them in that game. I want to talk about the Hawks losing, though. I think maybe one of the biggest malpractice coaching moments I've ever seen in my life Nate McMillan did the other day. Um, the Knicks were going on a 30-8 to eight run, and he kept Trey Young on the bench the entire time. That is one of the most egregious coaching moments I've ever seen. Um, usually you want one of the best scorers in the entire league and your best player on the team to play to stop a run, you'd think. Um, but Nate McMillan just basically gave the game away to the Knicks. I thought that was insane. Um, I want to talk about another player on the Knicks, Julius Randle has been horrible. Mm-hmm. He's been like legitimately bad. And he's starting to look like 2020 Julius Randle where Knicks fans didn't even want him to get minutes. Um, he's still, he's still making good passes. So I, that's like, but his efficiency has been in the toilet. Uh, he doesn't look like an effective number one option against this team, which I thought he was just going to pummel this team. I mean, you, I, I, let the listeners know the stats he had against them in the regular season, 37, 12, and seven against the Hawks in the regular season. And then he's playing like this. This has been really shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It seems like sometimes when you watch Julius Randall, that he isn't the most fluid basketball player. Um, he just is able, his shots fall a lot of the time, but like, it's kind of surprising sometimes when you watch him that that like bump into a dude at the deep two and pull up that, that, that shot falls. Yeah. Um, but yeah, him and RJ Barrett, two dudes that kind of, I expected anyways to be pretty great in these playoffs just haven't been so far. RJ Barrett's good on defense. He has a lot of energy, but just neither of them are able to put the ball in the basket. Yeah. Um, and regardless, with their two best players not being able to play well, they win by nine and they yep. lost by two the first game with both of their player, their best players having bad nights. Um, so if Julius Randall can turn it around, I think these margins might get a little bit wider for New York um, because I mean, Trey Young's doing everything he could do. Bogdanovich had a pretty garbage game yesterday. Uh, don't let the 18 points make you think otherwise. He just could not hit the broad side of a barn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of surprising that despite the fact that Barrett and Randall are having garbage nights, that the Knicks were still able to have a pretty convincing win. Yeah, it's just their culture that Thibodeau has installed in, in this team is just just play defense. Um, they I think they've come to the realization like Trey Young is going to get his thirty. I think they recognize that they don't have the point guard personnel to guard him, so they're just going to let him do what he wants and then maybe slow down the periphery pieces but I mean I'm impressed with the Knicks still I think that was a great win for them um I think it was probably because Nate McMillan's a bad co- a bad playoff coach at least it's um, a Budenholzer moment just why yeah. why does Trey yeah. Young get 35 minutes in this playoff game it should be around 40 at least right right and I mean again the 30 to 8 run I mean the Hawks had a really nice lead like why'd that have to disappear? You just keep Trey Young and then he keeps that afloat. So 
I mean, hey, I'm not a, I'm not an NBA coach, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, I'm super interested to see uh, how RJ Barrett improves throughout the rest of the series. Me too. Um, I mean, it seems like he's been getting to the hole. Like not not at will, but he's some of these shots should be falling. I think yeah. in the regular season, these shots a lot more of these shots do fall. Uh, the thing that I love the most about the Knicks, the reason I think they're like one of the most fun teams to watch, is just the energy that every single one of these players brings. Um, Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly off the yeah. bench, their energy is so so awesome. I love every single time Obi Toppin is in the game, he's pointing to the rim for alley oops doesn't matter what the play is. It doesn't matter if it's transition or half-court offense. He wants an alley-oop on every single possession. Yeah. Um, and just the energy he brought the other day was awesome. The alley-oop he had the other day was awesome. Um, I really was kind of a little bit worried about him because I thought he was going to have an awesome rookie year, and then he just didn't. Yeah. Um, he was a little bit buried in the rotation. But the fact that he's coming alive in the playoffs, I love to see. Yeah, and the energy. The energy of the players of the Knicks and the energy of the arena. Um, oh, I my know God, they, yeah. Yeah, the energy of Madison Square Garden. It makes you feel like basketball is finally back. It makes you feel like COVID is finally subsiding. It's just – it is the best arena to play basketball, and I it, I don't think it's really close, actually. Um, and uh, harping back to Trey, Trey, after the loss – looks at the crowd and screams, I'll see you in the A. I mean, I just, I'm starting to fall in love with a guy I hated just like four weeks ago. It's just like, he has completely won me over. Yeah, the turnaround is awesome. Um, I think there's a lot of people in your shoes who are just starting to appreciate what who Trey Young is. Yeah, I, um, I think almost as much as a person as a player. Because yeah. I'm starting to like, I saw it in the regular season, the way he can manipulate defenses. But in a seven-game series, he just seems like one of those players that can just solve the puzzle no matter what you put in front of him. Just the way he can keep his dribble alive, the way he can shoot, and the way he passes. I think his passing is just – it's up there, like, in the league, I think. He's, he's, very, he's an elite, elite passer. So, And then the attitude. It just – it's a perfect package for a player. Yeah, it, it was a little bit annoying seeing him complain to his own teammates during the regular season, but he knows as soon as the playoffs come, it's time to lock in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's been he's been awesome to watch. Yeah, and it's his first playoff series too. So I mean, for him to perform the way he's performing, I think this is a statement to the league that he needs to be reckoned with. But definitely, I think we're gonna take a quick break here, and then we're gonna come back for the other playoff series. All right, and we're back. Uh, we're gonna start off here talking about Denver and Portland. Uh, the Denver Nuggets have taken a two-one series lead here, pretty much all off the back of Nikola Jokic who is one of the best playoff performers I've watched. Um, he's had, I think he's averaged 34 points somewhere around there over the series. And his shooting splits are 59% from the field, 50% from three and 91% from the free throw line. Um, he's just been unreal. And the other big point I want to make is it's crazy that without Jamal Murray, the kind of, the success they've gotten from their guards is pretty impressive considering the fact that the only guard that was on this team last year is Monte Morris. Yeah. They picked up a rookie Facundo Campazzo, Sha Shaquille Harrison, who's 5'10", Austin Rivers, who they signed a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, PJ Dozier, who is very young, still a pretty good player, but still very young. 
the, the the success they've gotten from their guards is amazing, and Jokic has been incredible. Yeah, Jokic is one of the league's best floor raisers. Um, I think we see this with playmaking geniuses that they just are able to make their teams better than what they should be. So, like, we, for example, we see this with Luka Doncic. We see this with LeBron James, right? And I, I think Jokic is on that level in just terms of, like, I don't care who I have around me. I'm going to get them open looks so they're efficient, and I'm going to do what I got to do to score. And he's, like you said, he's just doing it at a, an efficiency that truly doesn't even make sense. Um, the Blazers have no idea how to stop him. Um, he's just been fully unlocked, and I, I don't see how he stops. I mean, I think he's just going to do this throughout the entire series. Um, it, it's just unbelievable. And this is, like you said, this this win came off the back of Jokic really being only the standout performer. I mean, Austin Rivers had a pretty good game with 21 points and on 50% from the floor and from three, but everyone else was just okay. And they still managed to beat a team in the Trailblazers who, where their guards combined for 59 points. So I, I've just been super impressed with Jokic. It's no surprise that he's doing this. The only way the Blazers really stop him is by doubling him. And that turns him back into one of the best passers in the NBA. Exactly. Um, which doesn't help the Blazers at all. They really just have to leave him on, leave Jokic on an island with Nurkic or Kanner mm. um, and just watch him score. It's not even like Jokic is getting wide open looks. These are tough contested shots that he's taking and just yeah. hitting. Yeah. Um, Cause that's what he does. That's what he's done all year. The little one legged, the, they call it the Sambor shuffle. Yeah. That is my favorite move. Anybody in the NBA ever does the off the run off the wrong leg, one legged fadeaway shot. I love watching it. Um, it's surprising that we haven't seen a great game from Michael Porter jr. Yet. Mm. I mean, he had 25 points in game one, but it was on absolutely garbage efficiency from three. Yeah. It was mostly all his points were coming from free throws and drives to the hoop. Yeah. Um, and even still, they're up to one. Yeah. I, I, Jokic, we know Jokic is unstoppable. And I mean, Dame Lillard, also absolutely unstoppable. Yeah. Averaging 37 points so far this series, he is taking a lot of shots, yes. but. I mean, his efficiency is still excellent. 43% so far from three. Um, I don't know. What do you, what's the secret for the Blazers here? Honestly, I'm starting to get a little worried about my pick of Blazers in seven because my whole recipe was just have Dame and CJ cook. And they kind of are. I mean, CJ struggled a little bit. He went three for 10 from three last night. And he also went eight for 20 from the floor. So, I mean, that's not great. That's actually kind of bad. But... I mean, he still ended up with 22 points. And Norm Powell, who was the other guard that I thought was going to do really well in the series, had a good game last night. So I was just I, – I don't know. I just thought that was the recipe to success. I thought Jokic was going to get his 30-10-10 and 10 the entire series, and it seems like he's going to do something similar to that. But I thought the offensive output from the guards on the Blazers was just too much for the uh, Nuggets to deal with. It doesn't seem like it is. I, I don't really know where they go from here because Dame's just going to score all, every time. I guess it's up to CJ to maybe step up his efficiency a little bit, and that's really the only avenue I see. So I, at the beginning of this series, I incorrectly thought that Facundo Campazzo, PJ Dozier, Shaq Harrison, all of them were going to be able to slow down Dame Lillard, yeah. and they have not at all. 
um, they have been able to slow down McCollum. Yeah. And Facundo Campazzo, I'm impressed with his work defensively. Um, I also, I think it's an interesting decision that they've had Aaron Gordon be the primary defender for Dame in a bunch mm. of these possessions. Yeah. Because Dame can't really blow by him. Aaron Gordon's mobile enough to stay in front of him, and he's strong enough to not let Dame push by him. Yeah. So Dame's just been chucking up a ridiculous amount of threes. Yeah. Um, this game three looks a lot closer than it was. It was like a 10-point game with a minute to go, and the Blazers hit four threes back to back to back to back and just kept fouling to get it closer and closer. As soon as they needed a bucket, Jokic got that offensive rebound and tip in to seal the game. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I used to think uh, in any series Dame Lillard played in, he was the best player in the series. Uh, it seems like Jokic is. Not even close. Which isn't any knock on Dame Lillard at all. Yeah. Um, but just, yeah, you're right. The way that Jokic can elevate a team is so, so impressive. Um, and it's just, it's crazy how repeatable these games can be from him. The fact that he can score 36 a game on really good efficiency, and it's not an outlier. It's like a normal game for him is so, so awesome. It's, it makes me feel good that I've been rooting so hard for him to succeed. Yeah. He's one of those players that we, we got to make sure we like know what we're seeing. We got to appreciate it while it's here. Cause he's going to be just one of the unicorns of NBA history. I mean, a guy who can pass like that, but who can also drop 30 a night in a playoff series. It's just, it's not a common thing. We got to realize what we're seeing here. He's super fun to watch. And like you said, it's not a, it's not a knock on Dame Lillard. Like Dame Lillard's absolutely still a top 10 player, but I think Jokic has put himself in a conversation to like be considered with the greats of the game today, like in the top five, for sure. Like he's in the category with KD, LeBron, Kawhi, and Curry. I, I think they're all in the same group. So um, yeah, he, he's just unbelievable. He's the best player in almost any series he plays in. I, I think so. Yeah. He, he's just unreal. Yeah, so I had the Nuggets – originally I had the Nuggets in six, and then after mm. game one I put I took Nuggets in seven. I think I'm back to Nuggets in six. I'm going to keep Blazers in seven. I'm going to keep Blazers in seven. I think there's still an avenue, but it, it all comes down to CJ, really. I mean, Dame's done just about everything he can. Um, and some of the periphery players have been all right, too. Like, Melo's had a decent scoring um, stretch in these few games. Um, Norm Powell's been okay here and there, but we just need we just need CJ McCollum to be a legit 25 points the rest of the way for them to have a shot. So I'm just going to stay put for now. It, it, I am a little concerned, but I, I'm just going to stick to my guns. I think that's fair. If Jokic doesn't score 30 in a game, these games are going to go a lot more in Blazers' favor. If Jokic mm. just has a cold night, I think the Blazers could take a game pretty easy. Yeah. Um, so let's move on here to the Jazz Grizzlies. Donovan Mitchell is finally back. Yeah. Uh, there was some drama between his medical staff, his team, and the Jazz medical staff uh, because they held him out of game one and he did not want to be held out of game one. Mm-hmm. Um, they won by 12 the other day. And it, this is kind of what I expected from the jump. They set a franchise record for most points scored in a playoff game with 141. Yeah. Pretty even scoring across the board. There were eight guys who scored over 10 points, three who scored over 20. Mike Conley had 15 assists. 
Um, just the way that they move the ball and the way that they can hit threes on any normal night makes them kind of an unstoppable force. Yeah, basically to beat this team, you need to like hope for a cold shooting night. Um, we saw it in game one. They were atrocious from three, and the Grizzlies only won by like a few points. So um, this this is the true number one seed. Like we're seeing what they actually are now that they have Donovan Mitchell back. Um, Rudy Gobert looked really good in this game too. Like just offensively, I know all of his buckets are like assisted, but still, I mean, if you can finish and finish efficiently, I don't really care if they're assisted or not. Just get to the cup and finish and I'm fine with it. Um, but I think the real story of the game here is John Morant. Um, John Morant through his first two playoff games has the most points since George Mikan in 1950. Um, (laughs) That is absurd. It's been 70 years of NBA basketball before someone has done what John Morant has just did. And I just, like, do we have another Jaws Ion debate coming up soon? I mean, this is absurd what's happening. It is a little unfair because Zion's not even in the playoffs. Maybe that's a little bit part of it. That's... Um, but, yeah, 47 from Jaw was amazing it's unreal watching him score inside um he's still he's got a set shot and it's a pretty ugly set shot from three um but the fact that even without a good jump shot that he can just score at will sometimes in the paint the dunk that he tried over rudy gobert uh one of these days he is going to get one of the best dunks of all time um he's had an attempt over ad that didn't work an attempt over kevin love that didn't work one of these times he's going to have just an unreal poster um i think it's important to talk about rudy gobert though because in game one he was in foul trouble pretty early and he only played 25 minutes um and that was it looked like this was going to be a series where Rudy Gobert, even though he's going to be the defensive player of the year, is a liability. And this game, he was not. Scored pretty well, rebounded pretty well, defended pretty well. This is kind of the impact I expect to see from Rudy Gobert in a series. Yeah. Um, and it's just Donovan, Donovan Mitchell is a huge difference maker. The fact that he can get you around 20 points um, – when you need it he's just he's a clutch bucket maker and he's someone who can quiet any run that the Grizzlies try to go on uh it's just it's a huge huge difference to bring your best player on the team back into your starting lineup you can tell the kind of difference it makes with the Jazz yeah the penetration Donovan Mitchell can get is super important to this team because it allows shooters to get wide open and that's what this team's best at um the way he can just cross people up and get by people with his explosiveness when he drives into the paint like that it's an easy kick out every single time for an open three and they have a really good amount of shooters on that team so I mean that's the recipe to success for sure um but yeah Rudy Rudy was amazing um it's pretty obvious that if Jaron Jackson Jr. is guarding him it's a bucket because Jaron's too skinny he's too lightweight um, he doesn't really love to bang in the in the paint like that. He's more of a shot blocker. He's not like a post defender, if that makes sense. Um, but Rudy Gobert's pretty similar in that way. Yeah, but Gobert's got a lot more muscle on yeah, him than yeah, Jaron yeah. Jackson. Jaron Jackson, as of right now, is a string bean. Hopefully, throughout his <clears> career, he can put a little more weight on. But um, yeah, I, I've just been this series like is more entertaining than I thought it would be. Um, I think just for pure entertainment, watching Jaw is a good idea. I mean. And like you said, 
Like, he's not a good three-point shooter, but he can just go out and score 47 points. Um, and we saw this – is, this is why I brought up the Jaws Ion thing. I'm not sure if I'm super convinced of this, but this is just food for thought for our listeners. John Morant in the playoff uh, play-in game against Portland last year had his career high. Okay, so that's a big game he's performed in. Game two of this game, he has 47 points performed in. Game one of this had a great game performed in. He's just a big game performer. Every single big game you can count on Jaw to perform well. And I just don't know if Zion's like that yet. I mean, first he has to get to the playoffs, right, before I can judge him for that, right? But as of right now, I've just been shocked at how great Jaw is. I still think Zion's like potentially one of the greatest players to ever step in the league, just in terms of like his talent. Like we've never seen anything like him before, but just the mindset Jaw brings to the game is fantastic. I think the Grizzlies fans should be enthrilled that they have him on their team at such a young age. I think he's, I don't know. I'm starting to think he has potential to be uh, first team all NBA again. I know a couple weeks ago I stepped on this, podcast and said I didn't see that anymore I I think I might um just he has him and Trey Young have the best floater in the entire league I mean he would stop short of Rudy Gobert every single drive and then just push shot it in and Rudy didn't know what to do so I don't know just super impressed super fun series this reminds me this is kind of uh similar to last year's Jamal Murray Um, where regular season, he had a very inconsistent season. He had maybe a dozen really good games um, and then maybe a dozen or so really bad games and then a bunch of just okay games. That's kind of what we saw from Jaw this year. Yeah. Um, But once the playoffs start, they just lock in. Um, You can – the regular seasons just for finding your rhythm, trying to find new moves, whatever the the case may be, they're just not as locked in. But as soon as the playoffs start – these guys just hit another level. Um, like Jamal Murray, it would be really cool to see John Morant just take a step up in the regular season and start to be more consistent. Yeah. Because um, I think that's kind of his knock against him is he can't – he hasn't done it in the regular season. I know he's only a second-year player. Um, but that's what I want to see from him because I think this will be a five-game – excuse me, a five-game series. I just want to see him next year bring this in the regular season, bring this attitude, bring the energy, um, and just, I don't know, he could be an all-star. He's got the talent to be an all-star next year. He's just got to actually play consistent every night. I mean, this team didn't have Jaron Jackson Jr. the entire season and ended up four games over 500 in the West. Like, if they add six more wins, which I think is reasonable if they have Jaron Jackson the whole season – he's absolutely going to be an all-star like absolutely mm-hmm. um yeah just super impressed um do you have anything else to say on that series no um i mean i think it's yeah i think it's been impressive just the way that memphis plays as a crew yeah. um because i think the jazz out talent them by a pretty incredible amount yeah um but the fact that they took game one and made game two close i'm, I'm impressed i'm still impressed with dylan brooks I was just about to say before we move on, I got to talk a little bit about Dylan Brooks because he's almost doing the same thing as Ja. Like throughout the regular season, you could count on him going five for 15 or five for like 21. But he in this playoffs has been unreal, like unreal, like truly a valuable piece to this team and very important. 
I never saw this coming from Dylan Brooks. Um, I, I'm just shocked at how well he's playing. If he can keep it up, he's getting a massive contract in the future. The fact that he can do it on both ends um, and he can just bring that kind of energy and heart, yeah, the Grizzlies are going to love to have him. Yeah, so let's move on to the next series. And we got the 76ers versus the Wiz. Um, 76ers, this won't be a close series. Um, Joel Embiid just dominates this team. I love Joel Embiid's personality. Uh, doing the DX celebration on the ground for all of our 90s wrestling fans like I was. I mean, he's just the best. He's one of the best personalities in the entire league. Um, just... Ben Simmons had a really good game, too. Only missed four shots. I mean, this team's just so much better than the Wizards. We're, we're truly seeing the difference between a number one seed and a team who's below 500 right now. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Davis Bertans maybe had the worst playoff game I've seen personally. Read out um, the stat line. Yeah, so he was zeros across the board and then had six fouls. Yep. <laughs> so he didn't have a point. He missed every shot. He didn't get to the free throw line. He didn't have a rebound. He didn't have an assist. And he <laughs> fouled out. doing nothing. That is – and he's getting paid $16 million a year too. Yeah. So, I mean, the Wizards, good luck with that contract. But this is just – it's a blowout. Um, it's still fun to just watch Embiid do his thing. But these aren't really games you need to tune into unless you're like a diehard basketball fan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, watching Embiid cook people in the post is always fun. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of guys. Davis Bertans, 23 minutes of cardio for him um, <laughs> was awful. Really, really terrible. Um, and if Russell Westbrook, he hurt his ankle there at the end of that game. If he's out for the series, the series is a wrap. It's a wrap anyways. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the 25-point margin, if Russell Westbrook is not in the game, it's going to get worse. I mean, he was horrible when he played, though. I mean, he had 10 points of 2-on-10 shooting, 0-for-3 from 3, and 4 turnovers. I, I mean, that's pretty atrocious. I mean, he had 11 assists, but, I mean, at that point, does it even matter? Now, um, the, the one person I want to shout out, and if there is a reason to tune into Sixers basketball besides Joel Embiid, it is just to watch the defensive highlights from Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel. Oh, my God. Matisse. Matisse Thibel with four blocks and five steals in less than 20 minutes. He's the first dude in NBA history with four blocks and five steals in less than 20 minutes. Um, his impact defensively is unreal. Bradley Beal had a quote the other day about how he – it seemed almost like a backhanded compliment about how he was impressed that Matisse Thibel just doesn't care about offense. Um, but he can just – his defensive impact outmatches so many good offensive players' offensive impact. Yeah. Like, just the, the – what he brings to defense is so much better than anybody in the league. If he just had passable offense, he would be getting 30 minutes a game, and he, everybody in the league would know that he's one of the league's best defenders. He would be winning defensive player of the year every year for the next four years if he could put 30 minutes out there on the court. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's true. He, he's on that Kawhi level of where he, like when Kawhi was in his prime, people would just not pass to who he was guarding because they didn't want, it was a turnover. Literally every play, it was a turnover or a missed shot. Um, and Matisse is at that level. It's like, just please stay away from Matisse. He blocks so many jump shots. It's like weird. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a player block as many jump shots as Matisse Thibel. 
his timing is amazing. It's incredible. And the way he trails, like, the guards on pick and rolls and just, like, grabs the ball down from the shot, it's unbelievable. And Doc Rivers at the podium said something really cool about Matisse Thibel. He was like, he's basically our defensive Lou Williams. So as their sixth man, like, when the Clippers needed scoring, they would throw in Lou Williams. When the Sixers need defense, if someone's getting hot, they just throw Matisse Thibel in for 10, five minutes at a time, shut him down, and then take his ass out. It's, it's pretty cool. This team's very likable. Um, I think for the first time in, like, years, I think this was a pretty unlikable team for a long time just because they didn't live up to their potential and Brett Brown wasn't a good coach and Ben Simmons didn't have a jump shot. There was, like, reasons to hate this team. This year, I just think it's, like, a fun group to watch, and it just seems like – Everything's going well for them. So I, I'm happy with the way they're playing right now. I am too. It also seems like they kind of understand the talent level that they have. And they understand that they, if things fell into the right, if things fell into place the right way, they could potentially make it to the finals. They'd have to have a great showing against Brooklyn, but it's possible. Well, the, the really encouraging part about that is because of the way the seeding works out is – they get to play the Wizards, who are horrible, right? They get to play the winner of Knicks-Hawks, who are clearly a tier below Brooklyn or Milwaukee. So they probably win both of those series. And then they have to face the winner of Brooklyn and Milwaukee, which could go seven, either team. Like, mm-hmm. either team who wins, that could go seven. It's not going to be a blowout. So they get to rest, get healthy, stuff like that. The way the seeding worked out for them, that's a really good uh, way to get to the finals. I totally agree. It was awesome that they went and secured the one seed. Um, they really fought at the regular season, to, at the end of the regular season, to make that happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that they kind of realize that the Wizards are no match for them. Um, so these games, they don't have to put in – this isn't like a game seven do or die moment. Mm-hmm. They're kind of just having fun playing basketball as a team, and they're just curb stomping the Wizards. Yeah, and it's fun to watch, too, because you're absolutely right. They know they're so much better. So it's like (laughs) Joel's doing the celebrations on the ground and just, like, you can tell they're just having fun out there. And the Philly crowd, like, we'll talk about fans at the end a little bit and what happened over the last couple of days. But the Philly crowd, they love Joel Embiid so much. Um, When he does the hand waves to the crowd to get the noise going, they go freaking crazy. Um, it's just a fun game to watch. If, you, if you're a fan of the personalities on the 76ers, it's, they're just a great watch. Sixers fans are such an enigma. The fact that they will boo the absolute hell out of their own fan or out of their own players when they yeah. deserve it. Um, I, I, I just love listening to Philly fans um, in any sport, but like especially the Sixers now that they're like actually really successful. But yeah, yeah. he is, Joel Embiid is an icon for Philly. If he stays there, they got to put a statue, they got to build a statue for him. I think, yeah, I, I was thinking about this. Like, will he end up having a similar impact or similar city love of Allen Iverson? I don't know if it's possible. I mean, I know, city love, maybe. I don't think, like, across the NBA, the kind of impact that Allen Iverson had yeah. is untouchable. And Allen Iverson was, like, a cultural icon as well. But, like, just in Philly, like, if he's there his whole career, maybe he brings them to a finals push like Allen Iverson did. Like, does he reach that level? Or was Allen Iverson just so transcendent with his style, with his, like, just attitude? Is he just a different beast? I mean, I think Allen Iverson's a different beast. He's got to win a championship um, for Philly to get that kind of love. I think it's That's possible. Fair. 
But I mean, if you look at, just go back to when Allen Iverson played and look at the the way that fans would dress to copy him. There's a, a picture that I got to try to find of like a couple of like 10 to 12 year old little white kids dressed up with headbands and like fake yeah. tattoos trying to look like AI. Yeah. Nobody has that kind of impact. Yeah. No. Just, yeah. Maybe the cult. Yeah. In terms of like impact, there's no chance Joel Embiid matches it. But in terms of like success as a 76ers player, I think he has a shot. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, moving on to another curb stomping the, <laughs> <laughs> the Nets Celtics. Uh, was never close. Never. And I don't expect a single minute for the rest of the series to be close. Uh, it's kind of the same with the Sixers and Wizards, where they had a close game one because they're still trying to figure out the kinks of playing together as a crew. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as they figured it out, it was over. Yeah. Um, Kevin Durant, 26 points on 12 shots is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Harris, 25 points, 7 of 10 from the three-point line. Yeah. I think he hit his first six threes. Yep. Um, they're, they're not a stoppable trio. I am interested to see uh, if game three is close, I will be incredibly happy as a Celtics fan. Yeah. Um, I think the TD Garden is going to be very, very loud, at least for that first half. Um, there's, there's some fair weather fans in Boston. So if we're getting whooped in the fourth quarter, I think a lot of people are going to leave, but Ooh. the FU Kyrie chants are going to be as loud as any chance could possibly be that first half. That's what I was just about to bring up. Like I will probably lose by 30, maybe 40 tonight. Yep. But if we just boo the hell out of Kyrie and he has a horrible game, that will make my life. That will, that will just make me a happy Celtics fan. This season will be a success if that happens. Um, but, like, like, let's talk about the game for a second. Uh, Kevin Durant, man, like you said, 12 shots to get 26 points. And this is the first game where I felt like he was back defensively. Um, he was all over the place defensively. It's just when he's at the top of his game, it's hard to say there's anybody better. I know LeBron has been the best player in the league for however many years, but when KD's at his pinnacle, I think you at least have to say he's like 1B to LeBron. Like they're at even playing field. I don't know if he's better, but like he's at least on the same playing field. He's a better scorer for sure. Yeah, it's like 12 shots to get 26 points. I can't get over that. And you could feel it in the game, right? It's like every time he touched the ball, you were like, well – you know, it's just like give up type of thing. So mm-hmm. this team – and the first quarter with Joe Harris, I mean, <laughs> it is truly a miracle that the Nets got to hang on to him in the Harden trade. Um, I th- Also, just a opinion here, I think the Harden trade will go down as one of the worst trades in NBA history. Um, but back to Joe Harris, I mean, like you said, he f- hit his first six threes. That first quarter, I think he hit four or maybe five. Somewhere like um, that. And that's just the nature of having three unstoppable forces like Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. They're going to get to the cup, and guess who's going to be left wide open? Wide open. Nobody Joe within any, any close to him. Yeah, so, I mean, with him that wide open and him shooting 45% in the regular season, it's like, dude, you know it's going in. Like, you can't really help off him, but you have to, or else mm-hmm. KD's going to have, like, 47. So, it, yeah, this team – and no one played over 30 minutes on this entire team. 
No one, not a single player. And then, of course, we got to talk about Blake's dunks, right? <laughs> Blake looking like a freaking 2014 Blake Griffin throwing down lefty posters on players. It's just, it's laughable. I mean, as a Celtics fan, it's really hard to watch these games. Um, and then Tatum gets a poke in the eye too. And people are starting to question whether he even plays again in the series. I mean, it's like, at this point, it's just, let's wrap it up. Yeah, that, that poke in the eye looks very gross. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Tatum hasn't been having a good series anyway, he may not play game three. Um, yeah, KD had four blocks as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the blocks, he absolutely murdered a shot attempt from Romeo Langford. Just yes. came over as a weak side help and just erased a shot. Um, They'd be so happy. <laughs> yeah, there, there's nothing that the Celtics can do. Um, I think it's amusing that no matter – this is back to the Kyrie thing – no matter how much Boston fans loudly hate him, Kyrie seems to hate Boston fans more. Yeah. Um, and I just I, – I hope that the game's close because we'll, we'll talk about shitty fans in a second. Yeah. But if Kyrie just puts up 40, there's going to be some shitty Boston fans in that arena. There's going to yeah. be somebody getting tossed for saying something they're not supposed to, throwing something. Yeah. Um, and that shit's always sad to see, but yeah. I, I mean, if they can keep it close, it's going to be loud the whole game. Yeah. Let's just move into it right now. So over the past couple of days, a lot has been made about NBA fans. Kyrie was really the first person to speak about it. Um, they, at the booth, they were, he was asked like, what do you think your return to Boston will be like? And he expressed like, hopefully it's just about basketball and nothing out of the ordinary and Rachel Nichols proceeded to ask him like, what do you mean? Like, can you give some examples? And he just kind of laid out the case that some fans in Boston say some racist stuff. Uh, Marcus Smart backed him up on that. He admitted that Boston fans also say racist things and he's heard it and it sucks because obviously there's a lot of African-Americans in this league and we cheer for them. And then in the same coin, he hears fans saying the N word and stuff like that in the stand. So it's hard to play for a city like that, which made me sad. It is the sad reality of the league. I mean, some people think because they pay money for a ticket, they can do whatever the hell they want, which is just not the case. Um, then we move forward to the 76ers wizards game, Russell Westbrook, even having an injury, getting walked out. He's on an injured ankle, and a fan decides to pour popcorn on him. I mean, what a scumbag. And then we go to Knicks Hawks. Trey Young gets spit on by a fan. And then, honestly, the worst one was Jazz Grizzlies. I'm not even going to repeat what that fan said to John Moran. It's disgusting. If, you, if you're interested, you can look that up on your own time. Um, but all of these fans have been banned for life, which is a great, great, solution to this but unfortunately I think the sad reality is this isn't going anywhere um I, I really don't know how we stop it I don't think it is stoppable uh I, I just think it sucks that fans are ruining the experience for other fans I mean how sad would that be if they took away like the tunnel seats one day because too many fans were doing something stupid like the fans are there to enjoy the game and just be spectators don't ruin it don't ruin the players experience they're your source of entertainment you should appreciate them whether they're playing against your team or not it's it sucks that it went this far yeah absolutely it sucks that just a couple of drunk morons in a stand uh, make the entirety of the stands look as bad as they do yeah um 
the the John Morant thing was terrible. The, there were just a couple of fans. There were three fans that were banned for yelling racial slurs at John Morant's family, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is awful. Absolutely inexcusable. It's good that they got banned. It's crazy that that happens in the first place. Um, it's kind of a little bit upsetting listening to the Boston situation because Marcus Smart has written an article in the Players' Tribune about the racism that he's experienced and the racism that he's heard directed at other players from Boston fans. And then Danny Ainge in an interview says that in his 26 years working as the, working with the Boston office, he's never seen an incident of racism. Yeah. Uh, Just the, the blinders that he seems to have on is kind of ridiculous. I don't even know how you can say that as a working in Boston. Like how you can just be that blind to it is kind of ridiculous, especially yeah. because Marcus Smart's wrote an article about it. Right. Um, it's good to see all these players, all these people getting banned. And it sucks because that the Russell Westbrook one, the whole stadium was giving him a round of applause. Um, everybody was on their feet cheering yeah. for him when he went out of the game. And then there's one dipshit fan pouring popcorn on him, making him, making the whole crowd look bad. Yeah. Um, Charles Barkley, I – Loved what he said yeah. uh, after that happened. He said, you should be able to take one of these fans one a game and just bring them to the, the midcourt and just beat the hell out of them. Yeah. Um, I love Charles Barkley so much. Yeah. Um, that was hilarious. But the, yeah, it's stupid that they are allowed to get away with all that. Yeah, I mean, they're not because they got banned, but right. the fact that they do it in the first place. And I, I don't listen to these talking head shows a lot like we've spoken about, but Shannon Sharp said something that really spoke to me is that the fans are more protected than the players, right? Because how bad does it look for the league if a player goes into the stands and beats the living hell out of someone? It looks horrible for the league. They'll lose their entire contract for the year. I mean, we can look back to the malice in the palace, right? Stack Jackson lost all of his endorsements and got in- suspended the entire season, lost around $7 million in salary. Meta World Peace, or Ron Artest at the time, was on the way to an MVP caliber season and he gets suspended the entire season. And it's all because of the similar situation where a fan decides to throw food and a drink at him. But because the fans are so protected, this won't change. Um, They're never going to allow an NBA player to go up into the stands and punch someone. It's never going to be the reality of the league. And we even saw a couple years ago with Isaiah Thomas at the the same um, arena, Wells Fargo arena in Philadelphia, when he was on the wizards, he was shooting free throws. And if a player misses two free throws in a row, you get a frosty and some fans just start blurting racial slurs at him. And Isaiah Thomas goes into the stands to confront him. Well, Isaiah Thomas gets suspended for it. And the fan is let go. You know what I mean? It's just the imbalance of power is so obvious. Um, And like I said, I don't know if there really is anything to stop it, but I think banning the fans for life is absolutely the correct punishment they can't go to comedy events. They can't go to concerts. They can't go to any more basketball games. Let's just ruin their entertainment in the city for the rest of their life. I think that's absolutely worth it. Yeah. I mean, there is a small, very small part of me that just wants the NBA just once or twice to turn a blind eye and just <laughs> let some haymakers get thrown by some yeah. NBA players. Because yeah. these are 5'9 overweight fans yeah. who, have never, who are not athletes. Um, even someone like Russell Westbrook, who looks short compared to the rest of the NBA, towers over the average man. Exactly. Um, one of these, one punch from Russell Westbrook is going to incapacitate most fans. Right. Uh, I know that they're just drunk and not thinking about consequences. 
but yeah, I mean, I guess banning them for life is the, is the only really way to do it. Yeah. And Russell Westbrook honestly said it perfect in the press conference after the game. He said, no fan would come up to me on the street and do that. No. It's just the truth. No fan has the balls to go up to a guy who's six foot three, 200 pounds of pure muscle, and just has an engine, like a horsepower engine in his body, and try to fight him. They just wouldn't. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no way. It, it's just, it's the sad reality of the game. Um, obviously, me and you stand behind the players. Fans got to, like, they just got to clean their act up. Because, to, to be honest, there are a lot of great fans out there. Like Most you said. Yeah, like you said, that arena was cheering for Russell Westbrook that he got up off the court and was being helped out. The image of that guy spilling popcorn on him purposefully ruins the whole image of that arena. And it's, it's just sad because there are good fans out there, but we have to acknowledge the bad ones. We have to make sure people know about the bad ones. And it's just, yeah, it's just the reality of the game. It sucks, though. Yeah, yeah, you can't excuse the the couple of bad fans by saying they're not all like that because the exactly. ones that are loud and arrogant like that make it make everybody else look bad. Exactly. So I think that wraps up all the playoff uh, talk. Um, ben, just one last thing: Do you have any series changing before we move out of here, or what? Um, any series changing? I I'm having trouble believing Suns and Six. Um, if Chris Paul is healthy for Game Four, I'll stick by it. But that's kind of the, the thing here for me. But other than that, I think Mavs in five. Okay. I got Mavs in four, and I think that's the only change I'm making. I think the Knicks will be able to figure something out with Julius Randle by the end of this thing. But Me too. Um, all right, guys. Thank you for listening. That was a great episode. Had a bunch of fun. Ben, any finishing words before we get the hell out of here? Uh, usually I recommend everybody tune into playoff games, but this time don't watch the Celtics. <laughs> you can watch the rest of them don't watch the Celtics as a favor to us at the Chase Down podcast please do not watch that's all right peace out everybody peace thanks everybody for listening in if you want to interact with us at the Chase Down make sure to find us on Instagram Twitter and blogger at the Chase Down pod to join the conversation peace everybody